Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Media. Welcome to Make It Happen Here. This is Mia Wong back with part two of my interview with Kai and Lee from Health Liberation Now about the long origins of anti-trans legislation and policy in Ohio. Let's get right into it. Okay, so the, the next thing I wanted to sort of ask about is, so this is a very, very long-running I guess, sort of strategy and campaign of sort of right-wing or right-wing and turf detransition like groups advocating for uh, trans healthcare bans. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, I wanted to talk about some of the older campaigns that happened. And I wanted to talk about specifically some of the campaigns to influence WPATH. Oh boy. Right. Right. So we should, we should start by, explaining to people what WPATH is, because I think unless you're trans, you probably don't know. You've probably never heard of WPATH. It's like World Professional Association for Trans Healthcare, I believe is what it, trying to double check that. Yeah, yeah. World Professional Association for Transgender Health, formerly known as the Harry Benjamin International Gender Dysphoria Alliance. (laughs) They publish the standards of care that is usually used um, to help inform gender affirming care for trans people and they have done various versions of this over the the course of decades we are currently on um version eight yeah and um historically they've their way of administering trans healthcare has involved a lot of like gatekeeping and and psychological assessments or requiring people to do a real life test which is Mm -hmm. like making someone live as the gender they're transitioning to for like a year (laughs) before they can actually access medical transition Mm -hmm. Uh, so I guess like 
social transition, but it's like a test to prove whether you're a quote unquote real trans person or not. Yeah, that's and like sucks. things have yeah, things have gotten like somewhat better over time, but there's still a lot of medical professionals in and especially like therapists in WPATH who like still want to require some form of gatekeeping, who basically still don't trust trans people to, for, to know, you know, who we are and what we need. And mm-hmm. they're like, okay, but well, we need to make sure they get therapy. We need to make sure we do like, oh, the psych tests, what if they regret it? And so, yeah, so I used to be uh, a detransitioned radical feminist back in the day. Um, and I used to know, uh, I mean, I, I knew Max and Kitty. I was involved in that particular uh, group for about like six and a half, seven years. And uh, I used to have a blog called uh, Crash Chaos Cats where I wrote about detransitioning and kind of got more more turfy over time. But like pretty early into my blog, about like three months or so in, this gender therapist who worked for the San Francisco Department of Health like left a comment on my blog and was like, I'm interested in talking to detransition people because I think there are two like, well, she left a comment that she was interested in talking to detransition people and, you know, talking to me. And then like, we started emailing back and forth and she opened up pretty, pretty quickly and said like, there are too many F to M's in San Francisco. There's like too many F to M's in the San Francisco Bay area. There are too many like, you know, quote unquote female people transitioning. <laughs> so which is nuts. I know, which is, it's like, oh no, it's like, oh wow. There's, it's like, it couldn't possibly be that people are just coming to one of the most trans-friendly areas in the country to transition because they think they'll have an easier time there. No, there's yeah. got to be too many people. I mean, I think somewhere early in the conversation, she brought up YouTube influencing people towards transitioning. Uh, she thought there was like, you know, pressure to transition in the trans community. And so anyway, she had all this stuff, something about like, you know, oh, people are treating this social problem as a medical problem. And I, you know immediately kind of turned around and started talking with this other detrans radical feminist that I knew, Devorah Zahav, and we started scheming, like, okay, this, like, gender therapist who works for the San Francisco Department of Health, like, thinks there's too many people transitioning. How do we exploit this? <laughs> like, how can we, like, use this as an opportunity to, like, cut down on the number of, like, people transitioning? It wasn't uh, just the that connection to the Department of Health. Well, it yeah. was also the WPATH. Well, that, that we found out about that. I was just going to go into that. Like, eventually, first we found out she was working for the Department of Public Health, and then we found out that she was in WPATH, and she actually was, like, you know, talking to the president of WPATH. And that she, like, so she made it clear that, like, she wanted to use um, the stories of detransition people to try to get more clinicians to be take a more cautious approach. And she also wanted to try to develop psych assessments that could supposedly, like, weed out, you know, who the real trans people were, who was going to benefit from transitioning, and who would supposedly go on to uh, regret transitioning and detransition. Now, the thing is... <laughs> We didn't actually believe that you could tell the difference between someone who would like, yeah. end up like state transition or detransition because we were TERFs, right? We thought everyone could, you know, be saved by radical feminism. Like we and we had a bunch of people in our group who thought that they were, you know, quote unquote true transsexuals, who thought they fit the criteria of someone who would have a successful transition, you know, until they, you know, decide they actually were suffering from internalized misogyny or some other kind of rad femme explanation for gender dysphoria. And like, the thing is like Devorah also lived in the San Francisco Bay area. So she actually ended up like meeting up with this gender therapist. Um, his name was Julie Graham. 
and was like pretty open with her with her anti-trans views. Uh, I mean, she wasn't like completely open with her like intentions, like oh, I'm going to use this person to try to like work towards ending all transition. But she was, she did tell um, you know Graham that she didn't think anyone really benefited from it, and she told her that you know she said she knew people who had been true transsexuals who had detransitioned, and said like lots of really awful things about like trans women being fetishists and just like you know all this very you know anti-trans stuff but then you know is it oh but i think i can we don't have to agree on everything i think we can like work together and like you know this gender therapist fell for it <laughs> like somehow like divorcing all this very anti-trans stuff like making it clear that she was opposed to transition saying like really nasty trans misogynistic shit like none of that was like objectionable enough for graham not to like continue to like work with her to continue to be like hey do you want to talk to these clinicians about what it is to detransition? And, you know, eventually what happened like that, eventually this relationship with this gender therapist eventually led to a presentation at the first US path conference by Carrie Callahan, who's like, she's a kind of an odd figure because she never actually identified as like a radical feminist, but she spent like years hanging out with like detransitioned radical feminists. And she's, she's detransitioned, but she's kind of more of like, a weird liberal who believes in more gatekeeping, but she's kind of handy. Like we like, like she did this presentation at us path and she showed some videos of, uh, do trans turfs, including myself. Like I made one of the, I made a short video and Max Robinson also made one of those videos. And, um, Carrie Stella was the third person. And Carrie Stella, she did like, she was another like do trans Tumblr turf who did this survey. Mm-hmm. Um, that still gets, like it, it was a it was a survey monkey survey. It gets cited um, <laughs> by like anti-trans researchers mm-hmm. about detransition. Yep. Which, anyways, so we so there were three of us um, who made these short videos. Both me and Max Robinson by that point had gone like we had hooked up with these weird um, turfs who were Dianic witches <laughs> and taken part in these kind of weird neo-pagan ex-trans reclaiming femaleness rituals we had been through this kind of like religious neo-pagan like you know conversion practice rituals <laughs> which of course that wasn't something that the usp like those are the people <laughs> yeah. uh, you know us Panth knew that but mm-hmm. um we hit that we just you know i talked about how i thought i had transitioned due to like internalized misogyny and trauma and on all that so i was sort of like spreading a more like kind of watered down turf ideology to the folks over at us path this is this is kind of an intentional strategy if you think about it um because i want to i want to point out something from the the emails about how that presentation was made and then given where carrie callahan noted that her slides were, quote-unquote, decidedly unradical. She was trying to talk to therapists as a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, what that basically meant was she was taking away a lot of the um, more objectionable elements, the things that would identify folks like Kai and her previously scrambled state as a turf and being completely opposed to transition and stuff like that, and then putting on, you know, 
kind of suiting them up, right? Like, you know, getting, yeah. getting them in their, in their nice clothes, um, and then presenting them to a, a professional audience who is then able to take that information and sort of absorb it into their general thinking and then how that's going to play out in terms of their changes, um, or implementations of care in the long term. Yeah. And that's something that like, I, it, it, this is something that's pretty common with like, detrans uh like anti-trans activists across the spectrum like a lot of people like chloe cold there's a lot of the sort of like just hardline right-wingers who Mm -hmm. didn't talk about stuff like like they're they're like some of these people detransition because like like the thing that they're saying now is that they detransition because they got a vision from god right and they don't start with that because I think, yeah. right. I, I mean, I, I think, I think there should be more skepticism of people who are like, I got a vision from the Christian God or like the Abrahamic God that told me to do transition. I think there should be more skepticism of that, but that's not something that like, I don't know if, if you, if you walk into like W path and you tell them I was given a vision from God, they're going to be like, what? <laughs> Whereas <laughs> this kind of stuff, right? Like, you know, but the W path people like, and this is something that's kind of complicated about this because I think there's I think there's a lot of people who see W Path as one of the sort of like as one of the organizations that's there to protect trans people and that are sort of allies in this sort of in this battle against anti-trans stuff. And it's true to a certain extent, but they're also like this is an organization composed of a bunch of cis doctors, right? Who can be influenced and manipulated and there's there's trans members as well. There's um, a few clinicians, but, but, but it also less power. Well, it sure. also seems yeah. like the trans people who do end up like in a high position at WPATH like also tend to be like end up believing in gatekeeping mm-hmm. and, and restrictions. They kind yeah. of like internalize the general mindset. And so so it's kind mm-hmm. of like their tokens, right? It's kind of handy for like cis medical professionals who want to like control trans people to have some trans people a- as like figureheads you know, expressing those views. Cause I'm like, Oh, well, you know, look, this person's saying it and they're trans. So like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean like, yeah, at the same, like that, the first U S path, I mean, just to kind of show how far things still need to come, you know, the same U S path where Carrie did her detransition presentation, Ken Zucker was there and he got, he got protested. I mean, like there was a protest against him and they did, I, I believe they ended up like canceling at least like one of his presentations, but yeah. So Ken Zucker kind of this notorious, like conversion therapist who focused primarily on, on trans youth. Like he had this clinic in uh, Canada, you know, people, um, I, I mean, and like going after both like trans youth and gender nonconforming youth, they tried to like, you yeah. know, prevent yeah. kids from growing up trans, but they also tried to make, um, you know, non-conforming youth like more gender conforming as well mm-hmm. with the justification, oh, well, it's easier to change the individual than to, like, make society less bigoted. <laughs> Just yeah. Awful. Yeah. But yeah, but he was the type of people um, like, he was one of the medical professionals that was, like, you know, helping to create like, the standards of care for for trans youth for decades, and it took a lot of work to to change that. And like, yeah, he was still given a platform by W path in like 2017. That's not that long ago. Yeah. And that's, I don't know. It, it, it's, this is one of these things where like the, 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 the history of, of cis doctors treating trans people is really 
really bleak in ways that don't get talked about and the reason like one of the reasons they don't get talked about from people who know about it is that like it's fucking bad like it's a lot it's it's a lot of people getting raped it's like mm-hmm. a lot of like i mean you know, and, and like when we talk about sort of like gatekeeping for healthcare like that was the like one of the original things was like you know one of the things that would happen very very commonly was you know it's like okay like if you if you want to get healthcare like you have to let me rape you like that that's the thing that happened all the fucking time and this is the, and that that's not something that's you know extremely long ago right and and you can you can look at like modern wpath and be like well it's obviously like yes it, it has come a long way from that shit but simultaneously yeah like i don't know that's that's something that you know like there are living people who fucking experience that right and mm-hmm. you know and and when when you when you look at why these kinds of like detrans campaigns why why these just like like these these sort of detrans anti trans activists have been so successful in targeting this it's like well you know it's 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 i think i think it's a, it's a kind of similar thing to like Oh wow! I wonder why like the third KKK was successful in the South. And it's like, hmm, hmm. Maybe there are things happening. I mean, that 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 is slightly unfair. That's being a bit unfair to them. But you know, there's there's still a lot of these sentiments that there's still a lot of sort of like transphobic sentiments that are just kind of like buried beneath the surface. And I think a lot of what we've been seeing over the past, you know, like like eight ish years what is time hold on is that god okay I, i've broken my own rule about not trying to do math live on air because <laughs> people don't figure out that i can't do subtraction but you know that, that's that's a lot of what's been happening for the last like eight years is that people figured out that there's a, still a lot of sort of lingering anti-trans sentiment and they figured out mm-hmm. where you can target it in ways that are extremely effective we need to go to ads we'll be back in a second with less capitalism Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER me Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. And we're back. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, like, in terms of, like, medical professionals who want a gatekeep or what, like, they, they've been using, you know, detransition and transition regret as, like, an excuse for controlling people for basically since the beginning of trans healthcare. I mean, that, like, like, you know, that gender therapist, Julie Graham, she went looking for us. She, like, went yeah. looking for, for D-trans people to use. <laughs> She's like, mm-hmm. okay, this is how I'm going to, like, cut down on the number of people transitioning. I'm going to find some, like, detransitioned women and then use their experiences. <laughs> and, you know, that's what she tried to do. And, like, and I see this happening with other, like, clinicians, too. Like, kind of going back to Ohio, Scott Leibowitz, mm-hmm. who runs, he's a therapist who runs... Uh, the Thrive Clinic uh, in Ohio. And he's another one who has used like detransition to justify like more psych assessments. And uh, I mean, he was actually one of the therapists featured in um, one of the New York Times articles that everyone, uh, a lot of trans people got mad at. The one by um, Emily Bazelon. Was it like, I forget what it's called. The Battle for Gender Therapy. Yes, the Battle for Gender Therapy, where he's like kind of cast as this like, this poor moderate clinician who's caught between the religious right that wants to ban all trans healthcare and these wacky trans activists who just want to let everyone transition. It's like, he's just trying to find this nuanced approach and make sure that like teenagers don't transition and regret it. And, you know, yeah, you know, he was like, I mean... Like, he was trying to stop the healthcare bans in Ohio by pointing out, like, oh, look, you know, we're, we do comprehensive care. You know, most, most, uh, youth don't go on to, uh, medically transition. Like, like Carrie Callahan was also one of the, you know, she and her, uh, testimony and in some op ed pieces that she wrote, she was like praising his approach, calling it conscious, uh, cautious. You know, people who want to, like, restrict care, implement more gatekeeping will use, like, detransition stories to justify that. And then, of course, like, you know, the religious right, uh, who wants to completely wipe out all transition healthcare, will also use, like, detransition stories as well. Uh, They'll have their set of detransition people that they they bring out, like Chloe Cole, to justify for the bans. Yeah, Leibowitz was also um, one of the co-leads for the adolescent chapter in the Standards of Care 8 from WPATH. Um, This was also partially reported on in the Bazelon piece since they were given exclusive access to the draft before the actual final product was um, officially published. And so this particular chapter, um, especially compared to most of the other ones, was it was basically a dumpster fire. Like, it was a massive Mm -hmm. rollback in terms of accurate information. And part of this was actually captured by a white paper that was written by Kelly Winters, a trans woman. You know, she's got a PhD and everything like that. She's been paying attention to this stuff for a really long time, has been working in aspects of WPATH and trying to, like, you know, kind of help um, 
reshape some of the yeah. uh, the, the transphobia that's been happening. Yeah, I mean, she's been to... fighting back against like mm-hmm. how trans people are pathologized and you know against paternalistic yeah. healthcare for for a very long time now. Yeah, so she ended up writing a white paper about um, version eight with a significant section focusing on um, the adolescent chapter and some of the weird um, like pseudoscience laundering that ended up happening because that chapter not only did it include like you know lip service to things like quote-unquote rapid onset gender dysphoria which is a this is a a bunk pseudo-diagnosis that was invented by Lisa Littman after surveying a bunch of anti-transparents but then within that chapter you also see the the laundering of specific studies that are focused on um predominantly detransitioned women predominantly gender critical or radical feminist. These two papers were Lipman 2021, um, which surveyed a lot of the um, kind of the, the old D-trans turf groups that we had been connected with right around 2017 or so. So this was before the ROGD paper was published in 2018. But then there was also, um, let's see, there's the Vandebush study, which I believe that was published in like what, 20. I don't remember what year that was published in the Vandebush study. Now, this study was done by Eli Vandebush, who is basically um, post-trans, uh, half of a, uh, a gender-critical detransition project. And it had a very similar kind of like recruitment strategy, sometimes an overlapping recruitment pool. But the difference is that this happened after the ROGD paper dropped. ROGD is that's rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is this yes. thing Correct. made up yes. to be like all the yeah. kids are suddenly transitioning. It's like no, this is yes, no. yes, <laughs> yeah. But that, that that's what that acronym frame. is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. When that paper dropped, a shift in some of the narratives from people who are coming out as detransitioned was also starting to be observed. More people were starting to call themselves as having experienced ROGD. This is where the Peak Resilience Project came from. Um, and so as a result, like this Vandebush study was also pulling in aspects of that kind of narrative as well, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, this None of this actually makes sense. These are wildly biased sample pools. It's not going to be generalizable to basically any population. Um, it, it's only focused on like a very particular subset of people who end up detransitioning and then develop some kind of like political belief connected to it, right? And then it's being used as legitimate data as part of standards of care that is supposed to be like. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just it's ridiculous. Well, it's it's like, absolutely ridiculous. Well, it is ridiculous, but I, I, don't, I don't feel like like I feel like the medical professionals who want more gatekeeping, like they just need some detransition people to justify it. They don't really care if like the people ended up detransitioning because they like found God or radical feminism or like or you know our old group. A lot of the detrans women, I think I already mentioned this before. Like a lot of us, like talked about how like we had the same kind of dysphoria that any other trans person had, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're still fighting it off. That was a thing too. Most of the people I knew still had gender dysphoria, <laughs> and we're just finding like quote unquote alternative ways to cope with it. And it's just like I don't. I mean, a lot of people were trying to like talk themselves out of like transitioning again. <laughs> so. I don't think the issue here is like, oh, transition didn't work for these people. It's more like they internalized the idea that no one should transition. But again, like people don't, it's like people don't, 
Yeah, they only care about using detransition in order to reduce the number of trans people or prevent transition. They don't care about transition or detransition that you know results from transphobia, either internalizing it, yeah, internalizing it, uh, an anti-trans ideology, or you know not being able to access transition because of you know living in a transphobic society, coming from a transphobic family, you know having to go into the closet to find a job, that kind of stuff, like. It's never about like yeah. It's never about preventing detransition that results from trans from transphobia. It's just about finding excuse to control us on our access to healthcare. There's this perverse incentive structure here too, because you know these doctors are trying to find, you know, they're trying to find something that gives them more ability to do gatekeeping. So it's it's in it's in their interest to in order to, in order mm-hmm. to preserve and increase their own power to find this kind of stuff, which means that they're not actually doing their job. They're going out and trying to find ways to like, they're tra- and trying to find, you know, wh- whatever, whatever, like absolutely dog shit studies or like just stuff that like probably should be considered medical malpractice. Like they don't really care because again, it's, 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 it's just this like loop because that's the thing that they need. So they'll, they'll find whatever like crank pseudoscientist is like cranking this stuff out and they'll use it. Yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, I also feel like this is one of the reasons why there aren't more resources for people who end up detransitioning too, because yeah. they want to be able to use it as a scare story, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, really, I mean, like, okay, like, you know, I detransitioned and, like, it was hard um, because there weren't as much, like, resources and support out there. And, I mean, a lot of the supports I did find were crappy because they were coming from TERFs. But it's like, it's really just kind of like transitioning again in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, if you can create resources to make transitioning easier, you could definitely create a lot of similar resources to make detransitioning easier. But that's not there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like like one of the reasons that is not there is because if like if it's easy for someone to detransition, get what they need to have a good life and just move on, then it's harder to use those stories. Like you'll have less people who want to like, you know, who you can kind of like, uh, you know, indoctrinate into these anti-trans ideologies and then use them, you know, as part of the anti-trans movement. But also just like, I mean, if it's not scary anymore, if you just feel like, okay, like this is just an issue of like making people, making sure people get the supports they need so they can just get on with their lives. Like you just treat it as a practical problem that needs to be solved <laughs> instead of using it to feed a trans panic. Like, yeah, it's just like the, the there's actually like less reasons for gatekeeping. I mean, I feel like like creating like basically you're kind of like creating a safety net for in case like, you know, in case something unexpected or negative happens. So you're like, OK, well, if you transition and things you end up changing your mind or things don't work out the way you think you they would, here's all these supports you can turn to. So like I feel like that's kind of a better long term thing to work for is like, OK, like make sure there are supports for people no matter how their transition turns out. Like if then including, you know, detransitioning or if people like, you know, face health complications, like make sure that there's like supports in place for that. Don't use that as an excuse for gatekeeping. Yeah, that's unfortunately one that I um, know all too well the consequences of. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. yeah, and I, I think I think also the other thing that's going on is is there's just. Like all of these groups see both trans people and people who do transitions as just not like, like they're, you know, it, 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 they're, they're, 
they're violating the ca- the Kantian categorical imperative in the sense that they're not treating people as actual humans; they're treating them as objects or mm-hmm. tools. Yes, and mm-hmm, once you do, definitely. when you do that, right? Like everything suddenly, you know, like who cares what happens to these people afterwards? Because you don't think of them as people; you think of them as just a thing that you're using to do another thing. Hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. The unfortunate thing is that, unfor- like, this can also happen within the community as well. Um, when they are trying to advocate for certain kinds of things, people will end up using each other oh, yeah. as tools um, in order to meet yeah. their own personal goals. Speaking of goals, make it your goal to uh, buy these products and services. Oh no. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. back so let's go back a little bit to about like 2019 some of the bills are starting to to go out we had the test balloon bill that was happening in south dakota that eventually turned into 2020 right in this time frame an organizing call went out on the well the site previously known as twitter by Carrie Callahan that was looking for people that wanted to advocate for better healthcare outcomes for trans and de-trans people, right? During that time frame, I had been starting to go off of my hormones. I started going off of them a few months prior to that point. And in that time frame, I started experiencing certain types of what seemed like progressive vision loss right? My, my brain, I sometimes have a, a tendency to, to panic, I guess, um, especially when it comes to things like health anxiety. My brain started to 
make the internal connection did going off of my hormones cause my vision to change, right? And unfortunately, as I started to talk about this online and the likes, I was getting a lot of encouragement from other folks, usually like, you know, gender critical, anti-trans parents, that kind of thing, that yes, absolutely, my like the hormones were causing me to have vision loss, right? And it was really impacting my ability to function in my daily life, right? But another part of me at the same time as all of this was starting to feel like I was starting to feel aspects of regret and anger, which made me want to do something. This is a very common narrative, right? It made me want to do something so that other people would not end up in the situation that I was in. And so I answered this call, probably not the the best of decisions that I could have made for myself, but I decided to go ahead and do so. Answered Carrie Callahan's call. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I I decided to to go ahead and say yes. I will um I will connect in with this. I would like to to be a part of it. I had to apparently apologize for talking to the wrong clinician um in public first. But Jesus, yeah. no, you had to yes. apologize for talking to Jack Turbin because he was too affirming and she was mad that you mm. would speak to him yeah. because he's too willing to respect. Trans kids. Anatomy. Yes, yes. Because he prescribed puberty blockers, I was talking to the wrong clinician and therefore this was not allowed. But anyway, so eventually um, the actual like organizing committee starts with four people. So it was me, Carrie, um, Corinna Cohn, who was later testifying in favor of some of these bills, um, and then Grace Ledinsky Smith. There were some other people that were in and out, um, but they ended up dropping off um, very early on. So it was predominantly the four of us that ended up being the actual formal board at any point um, in the early stages, right? And so we started to, to draft a lot of this stuff, but like over, I was starting to, to wonder about two things, right? Like, after, after some exchanges with other board members about who it is that we should be predominantly outreaching, should it be clinicians or should it be people that are actually impacted, um, people who have gone through gender-affirming care, regardless of how they identify themselves currently, like, what is our main priority? The other board member at the time wanted to focus more on the clinician route. I did not. My focus was on if we are going to be doing a quote-unquote patient advocacy organization, we should be focusing on the people that we are mm-hmm. supposed to be connected to, right? Like, those are who we are. Why would we want to put more power into the hands of the clinicians that supposedly harmed people? It doesn't make any sense, right? And then, like, you know, as these wheels were starting to churn, another part of me was starting to, to worry um, that, over time, um, the trajectory of this organization at that point was going to start advocating for more restrictions or full-out bans later on in the future, possibly even partnering up with some of the um, some of the more right-wing groups. I believe I actually, um, I, I think I, I worried about them becoming like the, the gender care equivalent to Wolf, um, mm. which was unfortunately... Pretty accurate, I would say, in terms of my my yeah. concern. Um, that was yeah. that was part of my my formal resignation to to the board. I I stepped down as vice president about five months after I had joined on um, because I 
could not see any I could not see any recourse within the the group for for changing directions. Um, I couldn't be party to them hurting other people, even if I felt hurt at the time. And so I ended up taking a step back. Um, my vision was still having problems. Um, but you know what ended up making that a lot easier, actually? It's funny. This is not something that was recommended to me by anybody that I had been talking to um, about this stuff who had been more exposed to anti-trans um, rhetoric. Mm. Like, I, I talked to blind people. <laughs> Yeah, I, I ended up talking to, to blind people. Um, I connected with folks from the um, National Federation for the Blind. Um, it was a group that was recommended to me by somebody I knew from a um, from a past job that I had because she was the daughter of somebody who went blind later in life due to a genetic condition, and he was a member of the NFB. Right, he was part mm-hmm. of the federation, um, and so that was her recommendation to me. Um, I hadn't reached out at the time. My brain was too focused um, in doing this weird, we got to save people kind of bullshit direction. But like eventually after I'm like taking a step back from all of this stuff, I decided to go ahead and, and pursue that suggestion from, you know, this random person in my life, not from anybody I had been connected to in terms of organizing. And when, when I went there, like the only thing that I ever got was acceptance. There was no questioning. Nobody asked what happened. Nobody asked like any sort of details about like my, my personal views. Like I didn't have to express any forms of like, you know, sorrow or regret or anything like that. A lot of it was focused on, okay, these are the issues that you're currently dealing with. Here are some of the things that you can work on to make your life easier. Here are some supports that you can find within your states um, if you need to do things like, you know, get certain kinds of mobility training, um, using a white cane and the likes. Um, if you need to learn how to use Braille, all of that fun stuff. Here's, here's even like specific doctors that you could try to go to who can like really assess what's going on with your vision, because before that point, I did not have access to specialists. I was living in like, you know, rural Maine. There was, there was nothing there. I would have had to travel like over three hours to go to Boston for me to be able to see a specialist. Instead, like they were able to, to point me to people who had um, specializations in um, like retinal conditions. And so when I went there, you know, they, they did their usual tests. They ruled out um, some things that were known to run in my family, actually. But they did ultimately decide that, like, my retinas are not processing light correctly and that it's actually likely genetic. Um, so unrelated to hormone usage. Completely yeah. unrelated <laughs> to hormone usage. In fact, you know, as I was going through that process and I started to reflect on what my vision was like before I even took hormones, let alone stopping it, like certain symptoms were actually there just at a much lower degree since Mm -hmm. like at least my teens. I already had uh, difficulties with my night vision. Um, I had difficulties with uh, color contrast sometimes. Um, my light sensitivity wasn't nearly as bad. Usually it was only with migraines, but 
um, over time, like, you know, that's started to, to break out more where like, even just like, you know, there being too much sunlight was painful for me, but like some of this stuff, it definitely predated when I started my transition, but because I wasn't really given space to actually unpack any of this stuff, I didn't really have the ability to, to make those connections. Instead, what happened was, you know, I, I join in on this organizing board. I connect in with uh, three other people that were looking to, to advocate in very particular directions. And like my, my story was not something that was meant to get support. My story was something that was meant to scare people. Yeah. I was also nominated as the spokesperson, which meant I would have had the responsibility to do things like, you know, respond to the press or give sound quotes or whatever, right? I gave um, certain kinds of descriptions over to a, um, like a Democratic candidate that we had been scheduled to, to meet with, uh, Ryan Starzik at the time down in Arizona, um, and, you know, give the whole spiel, right? You know, a visible trans person with, a story that for a lot of people who like most people are very connected to their senses, whether that's hearing, vision, touch or whatever, they can't conceptualize a life without them. And so it terrifies them. Right. But like that doesn't actually help the person be able to get to a point where this is a livable life. It's even a freeing life. There are certain things that I can do that other people can't do. I can navigate inside the apartment without having the lights on because mm-hmm. I know where everything is mapped out of my head and I can rely on touch. I can pour myself a glass of water and not have to worry about it spilling because I can feel where it like goes up. But that's not really something that like we're not even allowed to think about. We're not even allowed to think about like, okay, so if this thing happens to you, and there's documented evidence of it, not like something that's completely imagined, like my brain decided it was, here's what we can do to help. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the kind of things that people really need to be able to access, right? You know, if something happens to you, these are the things that you can do um, to be able to, to work through this and live a more comfortable life um, in the way that you are happy with. But I don't really see any of that happening, to be perfectly frank. Well, no. <laughs> Like, I'm also thinking back about the, like, the standards of care eight, because, like, you know, there's this, you know, um, inclusion of aspects of regret and detransition and stuff like that into things like the adolescent chapter. But you know what they don't include? A chapter for detransition support. Yeah. No, because they're not serious about that. Again, they just want to use it as, like, a a scare story and a justification for controlling people or, or, you know, putting them through a bunch of assessments or something like that. Like, again, I I very much believe that there's a connection between like uh, a desire for more gatekeeping and psych assessments control over trans people and not having support for like detransition or retransition either. Cause there's not like, I feel like there's even less talk or resources for people who end up retransitioning after detransitioning because no one's trying Mm -hmm. to figure out like, Oh, like the idea that detransition could just be temporary or that a lot of people, you know, yeah. go on to retransition later on or just confirms for them that they really are trans. Like that's also a thing that, you know, cis people don't really want to touch. It's one of these things where, you know, like 
pain is useful to these people, but like the actual like people experiencing the pain aren't. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that has its own perverse incentive cycle because, like, yeah, if if you want to harvest scare stories, you don't want people getting actual help. Mm-hmm. And that is a absolutely terrible incentive structure for making sure people actually get the care and the help that they need. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it absolutely sucks. Like, mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. Oh, I, I remember realizing, like, when I was still uh, a detrans radical feminist, like, realizing that a whole lot of, like, people who wanted to um, restrict or eliminate transition, like, like had an investment in my suffering. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. I was, and I was struggling a lot. Like, I do, I, it, it can really be hard to detransition, like, right now, because there are, you know, there is a lack of resources and support and understanding. But the thing is, like, I, I you know, I kind of slowly realized over time, it's just like, Oh, all these people want to use my story, but they they need me to suffer for it to like work out for them. Like they don't yeah. have any interest in making my life easier. Like they don't have any interest in like helping me like create a good life and being happy. They want me, they really do want me to be ruined and miserable forever because they can use like that's more valuable to them. Like my suffering matters more than my happiness to a lot of these people. Yeah. Like, you know, that was definitely one of those moments where I was like, what? Like one of those things that eventually, you know, led me to get disillusioned with the whole thing and be like, you know, what did I get myself involved with? But yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, it is really like sick and perverse how, how anti-trans people like use suffering, <laughs> use both trans and de-trans people suffering for their own agenda. Um, it's awful. Yeah. And I think this is something that, you know, there's, this is the sort of it's it's also the, there's a broader set of incentives here too, which is the sort of the structure of the media market, right? Which is the media mm. that's like the like you know the the entire media broadly, like you know like if if it bleeds it leads, right? Like that's 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 the that's the actual media model of you know everything from mm-hmm. like your like shitty local right wing tabloid to like the New York Times, right? Mm-hmm. And the way that this plays out for trans people and for detrans people is that like, like the the thing that these people that, you know, the journalists also are looking for is suffering. Like they don't really Mm -hmm. care, you know, like they, like none of these people ever report stories that are just like, Hey, like I went to a gender clinic and it was great. Like (laughs) nobody's going to like, they they don't think anyone's going to read that. Like I would read that because you know, that's, you know, that's great. But like, like they don't care about that. There's, there's no sort of sensationalism there. The, the sensationalism mm-hmm. is like, you know, you, you the, and this is why you get like the Washington Post interviewing this, like, you know, like, like these people who are just like, oh, like I was, I worked at a gender clinic, but I was secretly doing evil or like, you know, or, or, or you get all of, and this is why a lot of even pro trans like media coverage is about things like suicide rates and about things mm. like, you know, like how, like how likely you are to die if you don't get the healthcare that you need because mm-hmm. it's it's the same incentive structure it's the thing the thing that's useful to sell to people is suffering and that i, I don't know what the solution is to that because i mean i don't know uh, have have media that's not based on profit i guess but like you nice. know <laughs> decommodify <Yeah>. the news <laughs> But that's one of these things where it's like, you know, like as long as long as like every single like 
shitty local newspaper is making all of their money from like crime scare stories, they're not going to report. A, they're not going to. You're not going to get active reporting about police because they need the police to like mm. give the like feed them all of these shitty crime stories, right? And this is the same thing mm-hmm. here, where it's like you're not going to get actual good reporting about trans people and about people who do transition because nobody actually cares about that because the incentive structure is just suffering and that trickles down through through the healthcare system and through you know through like the legislative system and it trickles down through our social networks and what support networks exist and don't exist and it's a absolutely like if 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 you were just to like ask someone how do you want a society to be run zero people would answer we want it to be based on the production of suffering and yet we have done this but it doesn't have to be like this to sort of finish the david graeber quote the ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently so let's go build a world that's safe for trans people this has been It Could Happen Here. You can find more of Lee and Kai's work at healthliberationnow.com. I recommend you go do it. It is great. And go and make the world otherwise. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.